Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Women Who Innovate on Blog Talk Radio. Women Who Innovate bring creative ideas to support the efforts of women to push limits, generate innovative solutions across industry segments, and drive long-term positive changes in gender parity. This show will explore the trends of business innovation today by tapping into those global thought leaders who are disrupting the status quo. Thank you for listening, and please join the conversation by calling in to 914-338-0796, because your ideas have never been more important. Welcome to Women Who Innovate. Today, my co-host, Renee Hopkins from the Business Innovation Factory, and I will interview Celine Schellinger, who is the Head of Quality and Innovation and Engagement at Sanofi Pasteur, a highly renowned speaker on gender balance in the workplace. Celine inspires women around the world, especially those looking to break through the glass ceiling. Celine will share how she created and galvanized an entire community through empowerment by leveraging social networks and business acumen. We know that in the healthcare, that there are only 4% of women in the C-suite. And in the Fortune 500 companies, according to Fortune magazine, in June of 2016, we've also dropped down to 4%. So let's find out how to be rebels and make a dent in gender parity and gender balance as we put Celine in the hot seat. Welcome, Celine. Thank you very much for having me here. Ah, I'm so thrilled that you're here. I also want to say that Celine, Renee, and Catherine and I met almost two years ago at the Business Innovation Factory. And this year she was a speaker and inspired everyone in that was listening. And I think the videos are going to be available in two weeks. Right, Renee? Yes, within two weeks. <laughs> okay. That's great. So all of you listeners out there, make sure and go to the Business Innovation Factory website and listen to Celine because I will listen to that once a week to stay inspired about gender balance. <laughs> Celine, you are one of the most admired women innovators in the world. Please share with our listeners your success journey. Gosh, that's a that's a feel good sentence. And thank you so much. <laughs> I I am uh, I would say very humbly. I'm just someone who tries to push the needle a little bit. Where I where I work, where I spend most of my days in the organization I'm I'm employed by, and um, I'm I'm doing that because I think it's uh, it's an opportunity we have to. Uh, implement um, new the way we to to be truly ourselves at work and to uh, try to bring our viewpoints, our insights, our div- diversity to making our purpose as organizations, as, as collective, as community of humans at work, um, uh, push the improve support the business objectives. I, I believe that there's no uh, separation between. Uh, the business world and who we are truly as as human beings, as humans. And so that's what I've been trying to do in uh, the organization I work for, which is a big pharma company. For the last few years, it started with um, a frustration, actually, where I I felt that my my insights, my experience, my my 
onlyness, my my uniqueness was uh, not as valued as a certain stereotype of of people, leaders, uh, professionals in the organization. And I thought it was not good for the uh, relevance of our collective. So I started to do something around that, around diversity at some point when I... I don't know. I got old enough to <laughs> feel that uh, I could rock the boat a little bit, and it wouldn't uh, it would it wouldn't challenge who I am, you know, as a my, who my personality is. I don't know if I could have. Well, maybe I should have started that earlier, but I didn't. That's just the way it was. <laughs> Did you know then that you were a rebel? Was that your first hint that you were a rebel? It was uh, it was really not my um, intention or even the label uh, I was uh, I was thinking of. I was just uh, someone who had been raised in a very equal equal um, you know equal opportunity family, and that was my world. And I when I realized that the business world was actually very very different from uh, this family history and my culture. I, I I wondered, you know, I said, well, what is first? I wondered about my own uh, capabilities and competencies, and whether I was not up to what was requested, and was it uh, was I a problem, <laughs> you know? And and then by thinking deeply and analyzing better and and looking at things from a, taking a step back, you know, I realized that actually maybe I had problems to solve, but there was a much bigger systemic issue about how women were or were not really involved and and leveraged um, as professionals everywhere in organizations. So that's where I I realized I had my aha moment at some point. I realized that it was not me. It was not just something that was related to individual uh, strengths or weaknesses. It was a systemic issue. And maybe we could do something instead of just complaining, you know? Yeah, well, that's, that's I am fascinated with the um, the story you told at Biff at the summit, um, and this was so uh, critical for for both innovators and women. And, and the, the part that I found so critical was the part where you you said, "Well, I tried this, and the answer was no," and I tried this, and the answer was no. And I I have been a person who tends to give up after one or two no's, and I was so. You know, I just was so fascinated that you didn't. So can you and, – and I think for, for someone who's trying to both, you know, um, promote gender diversity and also um, someone who's trying to um, get an innovation adopted, that's very critical not to give up. No, can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I, I prob- Maybe there's this, this character trait which um, helps me in a way with – I'm a bit over-optimistic, <laughs> So when I try things, I'm always convinced that it will work. And if you if you don't have that mindset, well, you, you probably, if you're a little bit too realistic, uh, you don't try many things. But that's what I did. I found, I, I thought that, well, yeah, sending out a letter to a CEO could maybe influence the way he thinks. That was a little bit naive, but... But in in the end, it did change things. Not as much as I, as I would like. Not as fast. Not as deep. But but it did change things. It changed a lot of things for me, for sure. But for other people too. So, whenever you do something, um, I think you take control in a way. So the 
and the end result is not necessarily success or failure. The end result is you learn. <laughs> you learn things and you impact people and you impact the way things are happening. And and with all this um, learning and the new connections you create while doing those things, then you you get you get more chances to succeed or to improve your projects in the that in in the the time to come. So that's what uh, I would say. Uh, it my projects have not always succeeded, but it's been a, a growth curve anyway for me for all the people I've connected with who've been engaged in those um, activist movements as well, and for the organization. And I think now. They recognize it, so that's great. So even if the recognition comes, uh, I would say, a bit late or if it's too – it's okay. It's okay. And the the important thing in this journey is to find people who support you, um, I mean, on, on top of your parents. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, find people who and, – and that's why thinking about the purpose, which, what really – um, makes you, uh, you know, wake up in the morning. What 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 really resonates with you? And if you can use that, leverage that to connect with other people who um, respond to the same thing. Well, then you have you you have the the potential to create a community, a supportive community, and that will provide you with insights, with ideas that will that that you can trust for honest feedback, who you can learn from, and who will learn with you as you as you move along. You know, I think so. Just like so points, right? Five minutes into, we've got you know, don't be afraid to challenge those assumptions and those orthodoxies. And I think as innovators, um, that that comes natural, but. I think we become more wise on how to do that. And then don't forget to leverage your community. And I think that Catherine from um, San Francisco just joined in. Hi, Catherine. Good morning. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. We can hear you perfectly. We're going to go on to – good. that's perfect. So um, I think Renee has um, a question for you, Celine, as well. Um uh, yeah, uh, so I think you've I think you've uh, talked about how you you know ended up sparking the, this gender balance transformation, which was you know as we said before even more remarkable considering that the corporate environment you're in and the the business that you're in is you know a big big business publicly traded and full of men. So, so tell us about the the WISP network. So the network started um, really from um, I. I'm, Again, this individual, this personal frustration, but it took off very quickly, uh, and a lot of people joined it, and not just women, by the way, men as well. That's a very important point. And people joined massively and quickly because I I felt uh, uh, there was here something, there was an uh, an underlying issue that that was not spoken. And at some times, uh, and sometimes it's really completely unexpected, but something happened, a little thing, a little mini action that, that catalyzes the whole thing and that is able to bring the energy together. And that's what happened here. So the what uh, took place was 
people getting together, uh, going, uh, organizing meetups, uh, inviting people to speak, um, triggering open discussions in the workplace about diversity and so on. And very quickly we realized we started as a, as a women's uh, group, and but very, very quickly we realized that if we were fighting for diversity, we should not uh, we, we should reflect the diversity ourselves. We should we should have diversity embedded in uh, the way we operate. And so we couldn't stay as a women's group. We had to open up and invite anyone who's interested in diversity in a more diverse world. And we found out that a lot of men are actually. Uh, and, and that was uh, that was great because it, it opened up our horizons, uh, made us consider additional viewpoints and so on. So I think the way we um, we grew um, served as as a way as a, a test or could be even a role model of the way organizations could uh, right. could grow. You know, leveraging on the emergence of ideas, leveraging on the en- energy, wherever it is, and the diversity of insights and, and viewpoints. You know, I love where, where that. Where can you find information about that online? Sorry, sorry, Leah. Where can people oh, no, find ahead. information about that? Uh, well, what? I've spoken yeah. a few a few times about this movement. We have, um, uh, there's a few blog posts. Uh, we have, um, there, there's a, a big community now in mostly in France. France is where the headquarter is. The, um, the beauty of this movement that started with a few individuals is that it has now become a, a network of networks for large companies established in France. And there's, uh, yeah. they're organizing big events every year now uh, with um, lots of officials attending and the, the company has decided to sponsor that now. So it's, it's gaining a lot of momentum and it, it has really been the, um, uh, the catalyst for a community of people w- willing to share um, ideas, good practices, and so on. So it's, it's making a real difference. Right. Again, not as big as what we would like it to be, but <laughs> big enough to change the way uh, things are done. Oh, my goodness. Right. So, it's, it's so for people who don't far. know about it, for people who aren't sure about what WISP is, it's, um, it's a network called Women in Sanofi Pasture. So... Mm-hmm. You know, it's something Celine started within, or Celine and some fellow employees started within this very big company. So yeah, and just, the important uh, thing is that you can't guess from this acronym is that it's it's called We Men, We Men with a capital W and a capital M, uh, to uh, include both men and women in Sanofi Pester. It's for everybody. That's well, excellent. You know, I love to, those are great questions, Renee, as a matter of fact, because I, I love the whole list um, aspect that, that you just were not building a social network. But, you know, I know you've said before, it's not to master social media, but it's to master community and, and capture those new ideas. Mm-hmm. And this year um, at DIFF, one of the things you said is don't, don't put obstacles to those people that have great and new ideas. Yeah. But embrace them, and what did you say? Free the rebels, <laughs> and I love that. That that this is about creating social change using those social media. And I think from a business perspective, um, every CEO and every C-suite are asking the questions: Why do I need to empower my social networks within our company? Mm. Yeah. 
that uh, <laughs> the result is the answer is to me is obvious but of course people who are not on social network have a hard time understanding so we need to explain and convince and engage but uh, of course the diversity of uh, the, the network that you create around a common cause is so transversal that it breaks all silos um, and that's probably what organizations have a, the hardest time doing is making people internally collaborate across silos across functions and also across hierarchical levels that's really hard and um but again we don't we didn't succeed as as much as we wanted to uh, it's okay because we've learned a lot what i've learned in this first experience of uh, social engagement in the workplace is that the network alone has uh, limitations. You need to have uh, leadership support, leadership engagement. Otherwise, you 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 go and it's a it's a dead end in a way. We're not powerful enough. We're not impactful enough. We we can trigger awareness, but changing the way a huge organization works globally is more difficult. We need uh, to actually co-create with the decision makers as well. So how do we do that? That's a very interesting challenge, and that's what I'm working on right now in in the the project I'm I'm in today. Well, you know, I think you might have hit on this just a little bit, but this year, one of the things that you said that I was actually it was one of the most retweeted comments I believe from from the stage is that the work relationship at work can be much more strict than the parent-child relationship, mm-hmm. and um, that must have resonated because it just went viral. (laughs) So you talked about being that catalyst for change, but what is the one bit of advice? You have a woman who's sitting right now in her cubicle listening to us that you would say to her to be that catalyst. I would say try to have uh, deep conversations with your co-workers about things that matter to them don't don't stop at talking about the weather or holidays try to find try to to create opportunities to have conversations about things that really matter it's often not easy because work is supposed to be like kind of a you know neutral place you're you're here to work and your your passion your emotion your feelings are or for your private life. And I believe this is a little bit old, an old-fashioned way of considering work. Work is, is a community of people. Uh, we, we have wonderful things to put together in order to bring our purpose to work and make our purpose fuel the business and the way organizations work. If we just, you know, uh, operate as, as uh, robots, um, do our work and keep our feelings, emotions, and judgments for uh, after five o'clock in the evening. We 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 can't complain about the way the business is run, right? But I believe we have an opportunity to make things change if we want to. I do too. I and love what you said about the um, about being yourself in the workplace and not just. Um, considering that it's a neutral environment, that you can bring your passions in and actually um, use them to make your workplace even better. Yeah. yeah. And by having those conversations about, you know, real deep topics, we can find 
common grounds and ways to to connect people around uh, common passions and interests, and and that is a great platform to do something, to actually act. Celine, this is Catherine. I had a question. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening are wondering how you jumped from in-person conversations that were probably kind of informal at work to actually executing your ideas. Was there a particular um, social platform you used a lot? Was it proprietary? I was wondering how you handled the collaboration aspect. In the beginning of this movement, we realized there was um, a, an existing platform at work called Yammer, uh, so Yam, the Yammer social network, that was rarely used. It was not used at all uh, or by just small communities, mostly focused on technical topics. And we were the first. We got this idea to use it for a, a social topic, for diversity. So we created a group there. And that's where we started to have those conversations, uh, ask, call for ideas, um, and so on. But we never uh, tried to, to 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 push everything in the digital space. I believe that it's 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 super important to have uh, social digital collaboration space and tools, but you need face-to-face uh, encounters as well. That's where the real you know human um, um, I don't know feelings. Uh, can 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 spread and share and so if you have this this combination of uh, live meetings and possibilities to gather around you know good lunch that's very important for the French <laughs> and um, uh, or coffee or and um, and if you have this uh, at this capacity to engage at scale with a social network as well. Uh, well, then you can you can do great things. So for the first project, this this gender diversity project, we use Yammer. For the second project, I've been involved in that was uh, also pretty big, creating a community of act or supporting the creation of a community of activists against the disease. Outside, we used uh, external social networks, Yammer, uh, sorry, Facebook, Twitter, and so on. And for the community, I'm. Um, Supporting today, I use Yammer again. Yammer is great because it's mobile, it's free, it's available to uh, anyone on their mobile phone. So uh, it's it's really really very useful. Yeah. Slack would also be pretty would good for that. And there's been a pretty big adoption of Slack. Yeah, I love Slack. It could be, but we're we're such a big organization that it become it can become extremely noisy. So Slack is great for smaller organizations, but for and for uh, synchronous work. But for us, we're a big worldwide uh, company working so around the clock. And for us, asynchronous um, conversation is better. And so that's why Yammer is, is really a good tool for us. Catherine, that was so a you great did question. end up. Yeah. Well, I wondered also about the scaling of it. Um, so you eventually involved people internationally in different units, or how did it how did it how did it evolve? Is what I'm wondering. Yeah. And, so um, yeah. Comp- like, uh, groups, uh, sites. We have sites all around the world, and some sites have created their own uh, mini network uh, focused on local issues, local uh, improvements. Uh, for example, our Mexican affiliate did great things. To the point that they were, they have been recognized by 
an award from the local government and so on. So it started. We 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 didn't try to you know as as big or classical organizations do try to impose one way of doing. We just triggered. It was a spark that and and there was there's total freedom for people to do. You know, organize meetups, do t- decide on a branding, or do whatever they want. Uh, the idea is, you do things on your site or in your country that are meaningful to you, and and you share because it might inspire other people to do something similar. And did you take on the management role of this entire project, or has there been a, a position created to do that? I can imagine that a lot of leaders would wonder, so how do we manage this within the organization and then the outreach? It's a great question because, um, again, in this project, we, um, we, we raised urgency, we raised awareness, and then we handed it over to the organization to act to HR, basically, all right? And um, mm-hmm. HR was very busy with other things, millions of other um, priorities. So they didn't do much uh, at that time. Now things are changing. We've just, uh, we're hiring, like, diversity people and um, actions are being structured. But at that time, it, the organization didn't really follow up on that. And I didn't move to, and I, I was not interested in uh um, create in transforming my role as, a, as, a, as an activist, as a volunteer, into a management role for that project. I really wanted to influence the um, the business, to keep influencing the business from the heart of the business, not from the side. I think it's more difficult to influence it from the side. And as soon as you create a, a silo for innovation, for diversity, for whatever, um, it it then it sends the message somehow that it's this silos work to do innovation or diversity or whatever right so mm-hmm. and that's what i want to avoid so in my current work for quality uh i operate in a way that fosters diversity in everything we do so you see what I mean? I didn't uh, become a diversity uh, officer, or but in the way I manage my projects or I um, encourage people to join, etc. Well, I I pay a lot of attention to diversity, and uh, that's it's it's another way to help achieve the same purpose. And uh, of course, it's great when we have uh, experts and resources to help us in this. And I think they're very happy to leverage on uh, emergence, again, uh, emergence of uh, act- existing actions led by activists to support diversity. I love what and you said. She managed from the heart and not from the side in order not to create silos as, as an innovator. Mm. That's very important. I was also going to ask, um, how did you track results? Or were you, was there very much pressure on you to track results in some way, um, to accrue data about how gender diversity was progressing in the organization? Well, the funniest thing is that we were, as activists, um, very heavy on, uh, very um, 
uh, eager to generate data. We were not asked at all. On the contrary, I would say, <laughs> even the organization was not too uh, not too eager to produce data because they're already producing a lot of things and are very busy, um, and probably not too much willing to see their shortfalls. You know, so we mm-hmm. were the ones as volunteers, as a network, who put up together an initiative to to brainstorm about what the right uh, indicators should be and how they should be followed. And we ended up uh, doing great things around indicators, developing a whole set of indicators, which I'm not sure have been actually followed by the organization right away. But um, it, it was a very, it was kind of a counterintuitive uh, thing to see, you know, we were we as volunteers were really craving for data and trying to gather everything we could through volunteering, through connection with HR, with uh, and and they were not asking too much because we were an independent network, so they had no um, they they had no commitment to us, but we had no commitment to them either, and and that's where I feel there was a slight disconnect that I'm now trying to um to solve in my in my current projects because I think if you don't work hand in hand that's with you know between the volunteer networks and all the innovation innovators and and the leadership the management the company organization um then you 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 don't go far enough or fast enough you you can um we need both together that's right excellent. So as you know, as we start to look forward into the future, because I think all of us are a bit futuristic in our thinking, or a lot futuristic in our thinking, what challenges, Celine, do you see for for corporate America over the next few years as they try to become more gender balanced? And I know this is a movement that is catching on across industry sectors. Mm, yes, I think America is doing a lot already, much more than Europe. Uh, to develop diversity in in the business in in Europe we have some um, uh, regulations some national laws like uh, for example in France uh, the law says that boards should comprise at least 40% of one gender of any gender so that's mandatory by the law it's not for uh, not everywhere in Europe but at least in France and and guess what it works <laughs> they are able to find women <laughs> Uh, but the, there's no law, no similar law for um, executive committees, and executive committees are the place that reflect the the meritocracy of of corporations or the so-called meritocracy of corporations, and that's where you see a huge gap uh, between men and women. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not advocating for more quotas, but uh, I think we should have a deep, uh, deep, deep thinking about that because quotas actually <laughs> generate what we want them to generate. But what I think the challenge is, um, is more, more uh, broadly, is to have people, to have decision makers understand the business case. So there's a lot of a lot of studies around that, a lot of figures generated and studies that show diversity is a very strong business case. And how surprising is is it to see organizations not responding very quickly to that? They would respond immediately to such uh, to business uh, cases of that magnitude regarding I don't know China investments or whatever. But when it comes to 
gender balance, they're not responding so quickly. And why is that? I think it comes to sharing power. Sharing power is hard. It's very difficult. That's, they don't want that. Um, and probably, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't want that if I was in, in a position, uh, in a dominant position either. I don't know. So we have to understand that. We have to partner. We have to work on the uh, next generations of leaders, both men and women. Uh, it's not going to come uh, very soon, overnight. It won't be done overnight. But we, 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 we have to... We have to do uh, whatever we can to have people understand, change their attitude, build trust with uh, women leaders. So we're going a little bit over our time. We're about three minutes past. Um, one of the things I know that we ask everybody in in our that you know our guests on our show are your four innovation words. Have you thought about that for 2017? I I will tell you one of the best words I've ever heard is uh, Renee's, and she said build. (laughs) (laughs) So I've I've thought about that. My four innovation words would be, and I uh, I apologize if I say them very often, but they are so true to they they ring so much to me that I I really think they're important. It's uh, co-creation, purpose, diversity, and humanity. Oh, those are amazing words. So I keep changing mine every time I have a guest on. So (laughs) So how do our listeners follow you? And I know you're on Twitter. You, I mean, you're, you're out there. Yes, I I love social networks. I have a blog. It's called we need social.com. I've just written a post about corporate communications and um I I would love to have uh, reactions, insights, comments uh, and uh, I have I'm on Twitter as well, Celine Schill. And uh yeah, I'm always happy to connect. So, I would like to share with our um listeners that this podcast will be available on iTunes in about two hours. Also, please follow Celine. She is, especially for all of you women in corporate America, she is working on your behalf. Every time I listen to her and on YouTube, um, she, she is someone to follow and you will be immediately inspired. On the 18th at 11 a.m., we have Deb Mills Schofield, who will be our guest. So I want to thank you, Celine. Um, you have to come back. We have to um, find out what you're doing in the next couple of months because you, you're probably booked until 2018, aren't you? It was great talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, listeners. Thanks, Renee and Catherine. <laughs>